0: Sorry about that. Totally forgot about that green light. Focus on the split sermon. I totally forgot this time. So, Matthew Steele is giving the sermon today entitled, How Great is God's Love? We'll find out. Well, maybe. Good afternoon, everyone. I'd like to thank Owen again for the hard work of song leading. It's uh, sometimes a challenge to get you guys to sing out loud, especially on a hot day like this. I <clears throat> just want to sit and be comfortable, don't make me get up and do too much work. So all of this last week, um, my boys have been going to this vacation Bible school, um, and it's a, it was a really interesting program. As you know, most of those things have a theme about them. And this year, the theme was uh, Galactic Starveyors. Galactic Starveyors. And so if you, you can imagine there's a lot about space and, and outer space and God's creative power and, in that. Um, and then last night was the, uh, the you know, they, they do a presentation for the. So the moms and dads, and we watch them do their actions with songs and singing and so on. It's a very musical program that that they were in. But because it was about space, they had this, not at their church building, but at the Jenks Planetarium. Anybody been to the planetarium over there? No? They have public events and so on. I encourage you to check that out. But not when it's full of a lot of screaming kids. And it was kind of interesting. I was a little disappointed because the, the presentation was, um, it was a 30 minute program on what would it be like if there were amuse- amusement park rides on the different planets. And so it was these simulations. And I just wanted to bomb it. I mean, you're, the whole ceiling is moving around and it's just kind of crazy. And the kids scream like they're on roller coasters the entire time. But at least you got to see a little taste of the planet as it blurred by as you were swinging around or on a roller coaster. It was really interesting and then coincidentally, I've been reading the book, The Privileged Planet. We've all probably seen the video. We've we've done it here a number of of times. But reading the book, um, very technical. I think I've mentioned that before. And so it's kind of slow going, but It was tying together uh, in my mind on a a few concepts that I want to share with you today. So not only was I reading this book, A Privileged Planet, but this last week was an anniversary. You guys know what I'm talking about? Oh, yeah, it's Ron and Chantel's anniversary, of course. (laughs) That's exactly what I was talking about. Well, there was a, a less important thing that happened probably Um this week, forty-five years ago. You guys remember that? Come on, some of you were there. The moon landing and Neil Armstrong and Buzz Aldrin wandering around and making a mess on the moon. It was perfectly fine before we got there. Was it forty eight? I thought it was forty five. I can't add. It's not required for this job, right? Who, uh, who, who saw that live? Wow. I didn't see it live. I'm just uh, a few years shy of that. That's what I like to tell everybody, Ron. But even just watching it on YouTube, I watched the, the video clip, about a 10 minute video clip of compilation. Just amazing and to be there and have watched it live and then of course to actually be there on the moon must have just been an indescribable event for those guys just an amazing moment in history but sometimes these great moments in history they fool us into thinking that men like neil armstrong and buzz aldrin other men and women that are in the science program, the science community, specifically astronauts and so on, that have been to the International Space Station, have lifted off of this Earth, they're the explorers. And we're not. But that's not true. Because we are galactic explorers. We are galactic surveyors ourselves, right here on planet Earth. If you've Remember the DVD, it talks about how this privileged planet is a perfect platform from which to view the universe. We are intergalactic travelers on that platform. This vehicle of Earth that we live on is the most perfectly designed spaceship. It just doesn't, you know, look like a spaceship, but it is. A spaceship, and it carries us around. And it doesn't just carry us around in our, in our orbit around the sun in, in this solar system. It does a lot more than that. So just, just some numbers to help you understand how fast you're traveling right now. At the equator, the Earth is spinning at about 1,000 miles an hour. Of course, we don't feel it. And yet, if you consider the orbit around the sun, we're traveling at about 67,000 miles an hour. In addition, our solar system, the Earth, the sun, and all the planets, we whirl around the center of our galaxy at some 490,000 miles an hour. And yet, if we were to zoom out so we could get a good look at the galaxy at the spiral arms, It looked like it's standing still. Such speeds, but such distances and time, and what we're we're experiencing, it just doesn't, it's hard for our minds to compute and get around that. The Milky Way, our host galaxy, is in turn traveling around what is called the local group. And it's spinning around in this local group with all kinds of other galaxies. Who knows? how fast we are really going. But well, we are at least going 490,000 miles an hour. What kind of gas mileage is that? Pretty good. I, I haven't had to top up the tanks lately, have you? And of course, we're fortunate, aren't we, to live on a planet that has a clear atmosphere. Of course, I'm being facetious because, we, as we've studied before, it just so happens that human beings need the kind of atmosphere that is clear, because it provides the right amount of oxygen for us and the right type of oxygen for us and the right density to protect us from the elements out in space. So it's no accident. All of this is by design. We would agree to that. And even more than what the DVD would show. The book compiled an unbelievable list of coincidences, according to science, that have to take place in order for life to be here. And at the same time, these same parameters allow us to explore the universe right here from our home. The universe has been finally tuned life, specifically here on Earth. And I've heard some others at different times throw out the idea that, well, you know, God could have created other beings on other planets. I have no way of proving that or disproving that. And that, that could be true, I suppose. And that's certainly the basis of the scientific community, is that this can't be unique. This cannot be unique, because we're nothing special. We're not rare. We must be duplicated throughout the universe. There must be Earth-like planets. And, and of course, that's the, that's the goal, is to find the Earth-like planet. And it, it's so funny, because every time they find an Earth-like planet, OK, never mind. It's like Jupiter. That won't work. Oh, oh, we found a rocky planet. Yes. Ah, it's orbiting a binary star system. That won't work either. Too much radiation and not enough of the right kind of light. And there's so many factors that come together to make this world unique. And so, like I say, this is the assumption of the scientific community that our planet and its place in the universe is not special, is not unique, and that there must be other life out there. But you know, the more we study that, the more we look at the values that are finely tuned, the more ridiculous that sounds, and the more challenging it is for us. Even the psalmist, David, had difficulty understanding our place in the universe, though, because we look at it, and it's so vast. How could this be just for us? In Psalm chapter 8, verse 3, he says, When I consider your heavens and the work of your fingers, the moon and the stars which you have ordained, what is man that you are mindful of him, and the son of man that you visit him? For you have made him a little lower than the angels, and you have crowned him with glory and honor, and you have made him to have dominion over the works of your hands. You have put all things under his feet. So here's an interesting thought. In some ways, I mean, obviously, we recognize that we can't just go shooting off to the other side of the universe. But in other ways, this scripture has already come to pass through science, through our understanding of of the physical world and the universe that we see out there. Because we now have the ability to look everywhere in the universe because of this perfect platform that we have. We are able, able to even use entire galaxies as lenses to see what's behind those galaxies. We can use gravitational forces to help us see further, further back in time and further in distance. And so, so many ways, this entire universe is just open to us to understand. OK, we may not be able to go there but we can see what's there or maybe what was there because it's also a bit of a time machine. But we can peer back in time to God's creation. The secrets of the physical universe are being unlocked every day. and it's further evidence. It's further proof that we are living on this privileged planet not only do we have sustainable uh, a sustainable viewing platform which from which to look at the universe there's something else going on too and you may not think so when when you look at some of the mathematics involved but we do have minds to understand what's out there we might prefer, prefer the simplified version but we get it we can we can wrap our minds around some of the concepts that are going on in the universe. And in spite of his best efforts, man's denial of God is constantly being challenged by the heavens itself. Forces us to see the creative power. In another Psalm, David in chapter 19 verse one says, the heavens declare the glory of God and the firmament shows his handiwork. Day unto day utters speech, and night unto night reveals knowledge. There is no speech or language where their voice is not heard. Their line has gone through all the earth, and their words to the end of the world. In spite of all of our best efforts, in spite of all the efforts of the human race to ascribe creation to another being, aliens, aliens did it, or to pagan gods, or the recent iteration, the universe itself is eternal and recreates itself on and on. And it's it. Again, the creation, right? Worshipping the creation more than the creator. And it's a self-perpetuating force. And yet we've been made to understand that's not so. The universe has told us. We've seen it. Science has seen it. We've learned about the universe, and what we've learned about the universe and the stars, same stars that we can go look at every night, has demolished our preconceived ideas at every turn. All of our guesses at every turn. Just recently is the 1950s. 1950s. Man believed that the Milky Way was the universe. This one singular galaxy, that's it. That is the entirety of the universe. And then Edwin Hubble made some observation. You guys heard of Edwin Hubble? Hubble Space Telescope is named after him. And he made some observations. And these blurry nebula turned out to be entire other galaxies and exploded it, exploded the myth of this eternal, self-perpetuating and self-recreating universe done. Because he also figured out that the light was older and it was aging. And he figured out by that process, there was a beginning. And that was earth-shattering. To the point that, was it Einstein went to Hubble and said, all right, got to see your work on this. Because this doesn't jive with know, my cosmological constant, which is his little trick to try and make his math work. The universe itself, speaking in the language of science, which is understood all around the world in mathematics, and it's saying, "Uh -uh, uh-uh, not what you thought I was. Something else. And yet, it's interesting, isn't it? That if they just looked at the Bible, if they just asked some Christians on the street, did the universe have a beginning? They would have been able to tell them. Sure. We know that. David knew that. Psalm 102, verse 25, David said, Of old you laid the foundation of the earth, and the heavens are the work of your hands. They will perish. Right there. The concept of an aging universe, not an eternal self-replicating universe. The universe will perish, but you will endure. Yes, they will all grow old like a garment, like a cloak. You will change them, and they will be changed. They're going to grow old. Wear out. It's interesting. So after we get this uh uh-oh moment in science, well then, okay, we've got to work some things out. Don't ask us about the Big Bang. We don't know. But moving down the road, we know what's gonna happen at the end. The universe is expanding and it's expanding at an increasing rate. In in spite of all our mathematical formulas that say it shouldn't be. So they say, well, we've got some dark matter. Dark matter is making this happen. And that might be true. But their theory now, of course, is but the universe will eventually, every particle, everything in the universe will accelerate to such a point that they'll start to break down a strong nuclear force. And eventually, given the atoms themselves, will just go away and they'll just dissipate into nothing. Wrong. You are not wrong about the beginning of the universe. You're not right about the beginning of the universe. And you're certainly not right about as we just read it. The universe will be wrapped up, folded up. God said he's going to be done with it. Just as we might be done with a garment, a cloak, a jacket, he's just going to fold it up and change it into something. He's going to send it to recycling and change it into something else. So when he's finished with this tool, He'll roll up just a mere 14-billion-year-old cloak and turn it into something else. So the heavens do declare the glory and the work of God. And as science continues to show, he has placed us on a planet perfectly positioned, not only for life, but to watch him work for discovery. When you think about this in the light of the universe, does it seem that big? If you think about that God has presented this for a purpose, does it seem that big? What God has placed before us is, in many ways, a massive, ongoing documentary. It's a scientific documentary and experiment. I love watching those shows, you know, the different Nova shows and so on. And they're trying to explain things. And there's a tradition in our family that when they start mentioning evolution, we, we all yell at the television. Wrong! And the boys even do that now. But we're watching this unfold before us. It's explaining things to us. We're learning about it. And each one of us can go outside at night and study it. And just look at the stars. That's if we can take our iPhones away from our faces. Not watch our television. And so in Psalm 19, we read again, the heavens declare the glory of God and the firmament shows his handiwork. Day unto day utter speech and night unto night reveals knowledge. How much could we learn every night if we took a peek at God? There's no speech or language where their voice is not heard. Their line has gone through all the earth. Their words to the end of the world in them he has set a tabernacle for the sun which is like the bridegroom coming out of his chamber and rejoices like a strong man to run its race its rising is from one end of heaven and its circuit to the other end circuit that's interesting we didn't have uh, anybody to tell us that you know that the sun is moving around in a circle in galaxy and yet there's some circles going on here. It's circuit and there's nothing hidden from its heat. Then David makes this odd leap. Seems like an odd leap. He goes from talking about creation to then talking about God's law. But of course for him just like Isaac Newton and and his, his contemporaries they were looking to see how the heavens flowed, how the heavens followed laws so that they can understand the principles and precepts of God, not just of scientific process. Day after night and night after night, the sun and the stars, they follow their progression, so much so that we can chart ships by it, can't we? We used to. Probably a lost art. But we can navigate around the globe because we know that those stars are constant and that they have their seasons, yes, but they flow in order by law. There is a law going on here. You know, it almost makes me laugh when man comes up with names for things. And, you know, have you noticed how they named the laws after the people that discovered them? You just found it. It's not your law. You know what, Newton's first law of motion. No, it's not. Newton didn't define motion. He didn't make that law. He discovered the definition. He discovered what was already there. It's God's law of motion. It's not Einstein's law of special relativity. It's God. So if we recognize this in creation, this material universe had a beginning and an end, that it has structure, that it has form, that it follows very finely tuned laws and principles, then it's not hard for us to see that to David, this is a natural flowing process from the material world into the moral world. There's just God's laws. And the two meet in us, which is astonishing if you think about it. We can understand the material law and understand what sometimes seems those impersonal laws. And then we can also stand, understand the moral laws and the implications of that. And we are at the center. We're at the, the joining of those two things because we have a mind that can understand the creation and the materialistic laws that God has put in place. And we have a spirit that can understand the spiritual, the moral laws God has put in place. You think the universe is designed around us? I'm starting to get a hint that it is. Not just this physical planet, but us specifically. The universe is made for us. How vast is it then? When we start to look at it in that context, is it really as big as our mind, and our ability to conceive and understand what God has made? Did He make all of this just for us? Right? I think He did. Maybe there is some other life out in the universe. Maybe there isn't. And maybe this massive universe that the scientific world looks at and says there's gotta be some other reason than just us maybe it is just for us so one of the things i've learned from the privileged planet book that they talk about in the dvd but there's there's a special element that i don't think they mentioned in the dvd is that not only is the earth placed around a very specific and necessary star And not only is it placed around that star in a perfect position in the galaxy itself, right at the right point, right on the edge of one of the arms so that we don't get clobbered by all kinds of other interstellar material. Not only are we placed there, and not only are we placed in a galaxy that has all the right properties and is spinning and is a spiral galaxy, because that's very important. Not only that, but we're also placed at the right time. The right time. Because there's a very narrow band of time. Now, of course, millions and millions of years, but to the life of the universe, there's a very narrow band of time in which we can have all these parameters exist for us to live. So if God came along to this earth and he put it around the sun, and he started doing his creative process that we've, we can read about. If he started to do that too soon in the life of the universe, we would get cooked before we took our first breath. The radiation in the earlier universe was a lot more than your microwave. We would just get cooked. Too late in the life of the universe, the, he wouldn't be able to find a sun that could sustain our life. It would all be too cold and cool and the heat is slowly dissipating in the universe. But we are here at the right place at the right time. Perfectly balanced. This knowledge has really helped me understand and be comfortable with why such an ancient and vast universe is out there and we're the only occupant. You know? This is how God works. This is how He creates things. Why God didn't just make the sun and the moon and the earth and call it good. Why didn't He just do that? Apparently, maybe I mean He could have, right? He's God. But He didn't. It wouldn't have given us what we need. Because again, Getting back to this concept that we are that, that joining point, that merging point between God's physical laws and his moral spiritual laws. Something very specific going on here. David says the law of the Lord is perfect, converting the soul. The testimony of the Lord is sure. Making the wise, make, making wise the simple. Making wise the simple. And that, I think, is a clue right there. Why all of this creation and all of its complex laws, could it be that those laws themselves, understanding those laws, are making us wise? Are expanding our mind, teaching us about the mind of its creator? And why would he want to do that? Well, right before he made Adam, what did God say? Let us make man in our supposed to be like the mind that created the universe created a mind that can understand the universe and for a purpose. There is a need for us to understand these laws, to understand our place in the universe. We could get along just fine with hunting and gathering, perhaps planting some crops and just raising our children. And there's certainly some attractiveness to a very simple life, right? But I don't know if we'd really be satisfied with that. Or too much like Dad. We want to know how things work and why they work. So that we can become wise. We start off simple, but by discovery We increase knowledge and wisdom. By knowledge, we gain the power to understand. He says in verse 8, the statues of the Lord are right. David says that they are straight. Right means straight and smooth. There's no deviation and, and bending around. They're logical, understandable, and we can rely on them. Rejoicing the heart. The commandment of the Lord is pure, enlightening the eyes. And again, David See so clearly that the written law of God, the laws of his creation as well, being one and the same, they open, they enlighten the eye, help us see. The fear of the Lord is clean. Sounds like an odd phrase, but it just means the awesomeness of God, the fear, God's awesome power is clean and pure. There's no darkness. There's no instability in him. His laws, we can absolutely trust. We can see that in evidence in the physical world. We trust that we're not going to float away off of this planet. We trust that the earth is just here. And even before we understood gravity and how it works, we trusted that if we go running too hard, we're not going to go off into the, the sky and we're gone. We naturally trust this earth and the laws that govern it. This is not the case in one area. Remember, we're the convergence of the physical laws. We have the mind to understand the physical, and we have the mind to understand the spiritual. And yet, we seem to be the only material process in the universe that doesn't follow the laws of God. Because when it comes to the moral law of God, we break it all the time. Why, why do we do this? Why do we do this? We're in turmoil, we have conflicting emotions, overlapping desires, extremes of behavior We suffer from fears and depression and doubt. Completely opposite to him. He is permanent and stable. We can absolutely trust him and in everything that he does. He endures forever, says David. The judgment of the Lord are true and righteous altogether. More to be desired are they than gold, yea, than much fine gold, sweeter also than honey in the honeycomb." Moreover, by them, your servant is warned. And in keeping them, there is great reward. It's so easy to see the benefits of following the physical laws. Don't jump off that building. It'll hurt. We don't have to kind of work that one out. Well, why exactly will it hurt? Well, you'll die of sudden impact, is not it? Right? or concrete poisoning. But there's just physical laws that we just, we just trust and we just understand. Spiritual laws. We can use the physical laws. We can, we can understand aerodynamics. We can get on an airplane. And we can balance aerodynamics and thrust and keep ourselves in the air and travel to wonderful parts of the world on vacation or to see friends family. We can use these laws. In the keeping of them, there is great reward. We observe these laws of biology and chemistry and treat diseases, save lives. Wonderful rewards are in our hands. Why is it then that we don't do this as a civilization when it comes to the moral law of God? Reject it, Throw it out. Oh, that's old. It's it's old fashioned. It's unnecessary. It's the same author that made the law of gravity to keep us on the earth. How about that one's old and unnecessary? Let's try that for a while. Jesus said in Luke chapter 6 and verse 31 And just as you want men to do to you, you also do to them likewise. Or as our moms would say, do unto others, right? As we want to be done to us. You know, if we followed that one, one moral law, think about it. If we followed that one moral law perfectly throughout the entire world, what would happen? If we loved our neighbor as ourselves, every war would end right at that moment. Every conflict would end. Every divorce, every family feud, every corrupt business practice, every murder, every child abuse case going on, every single incident of bullying and aggression. There would be no more dictators, no more abuse of power. If we followed one law, love your neighbor, as And that's the point, isn't it? That's why Jesus said that on this and on that you shall love your, the Lord your God, hang all the rest of the law. Love is the supreme an ultimate law of God. He wants us to have this law in us. He wants us to be the convergence of this physical laws that we can understand and understand. These moral, spiritual laws that he's given us. David says, who can understand his errors? Not God's errors. Our own errors. Who can understand our errors? Why did I do that? Why do I make these mistakes? And continue to make these mistakes? As Paul says in Romans 24, who will deliver me from this body of death? Cleanse me from secret faults. David was like us; he had secret faults. He talked about his very public faults last week. We might not have some of those, but we have our secret faults. And they're not secret to us. We know we have them. And oftentimes, our friends and family know we have them, too. But he's, he's saying cleanse me from these flaws, from these breaking of God's laws that are just as vital and as important as his material law. Keep back your servant from presumptuous sins. Keep me from arrogant sins, from presuming that I can do whatever I want secretly and not suffer any consequences. Let them not have dominion over me. Then I shall be blameless and I shall be innocent of great transgression. Let the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart be acceptable in your sight. O oh Lord, my strength and my It's interesting that after this passage where David is talking about God's law, he concludes with reminding himself and us that we have just in case we get presumptuous and start thinking that we can keep the law of God unto salvation, that we can somehow become acceptable by works only, right? As Curtis was talking about, the antithesis of what Curtis was talking about. Because that's not enough. We see that in the heavens, we see that in physics and chemistry and biology, we understand disease and radiation. We understand the chemical interactions that that take place in this universe. And we've even begun to unlock the secrets of DNA and how it controls biology and the process of life. Yet for all of this knowledge, every single one of us gets sick. In spite of understanding all these laws and following these laws, and trying to use these physical material laws of biology and chemistry to heal ourselves, we still get sick. And we still get old. All the cosmetic products to not look old? Insane. And yet, that's just to not look old. How about to not be old, still? Following physical laws and trying to, what? Live forever. In the physical. This is our natural condition. We will grow old and we will eventually die. We'll be done. But that's not where it ends, is it? Earlier David said in Psalm 102 that God will roll the universe up. And he'll do what? What? He'll change it. He'll change it into something else. And that's why David ends on this note of a redeemer. We have a redeemer who will do to each one of us the same thing that he's going to do to the universe. We will grow old and die, and he will roll each one of us up in turn and do something In 1 Corinthians 15, 35, Paul also looks to the heavens to explain what's going on to us and here on the earth and what's going to happen to us personally. And he says, but someone will say, how are the dead raised up? And with what body do they come? Oh, foolish one, what you sow is not made alive unless it dies. And what you sow, you do not sow the body that shall be, but mere grain, perhaps. Uh, sorry, lost my spot, perhaps wheat or some other grain, for God gives it a body as he pleases, and to each seed its own body. All flesh is not the same, but there is one kind of flesh of men, another of flesh of animals, another of fish, and another of birds. There are also celestial bodies and terrestrial bodies. The glory of the celestial one is one, and the glory of the terrestrial is another. There is one glory for the sun, another for the moon, and another glory for the stars. But one star differs from another in glory. And we now know why, don't we? Paul doesn't even know why. But we know why. Because there are different types. There's blue and red. And there's, there's brown stars and dwarf stars. And there's stars further away and closer. And we know these things. How much more appropriate is this example to us And even Paul knew. And so is also the resurrection of the dead. The body is sown in corruption, it is raised in incorruption. It is sown in dishonor, it is raised in glory, it is sown in weakness, it is raised in power. It is sown a natural body, it is raised a spiritual body. There is a natural body, and there is a spiritual body, and so it is written the first man, Adam, became a living being, and the last man, Adam. The last Adam became a living spirit. Amazing. The insight that Paul had. The power of his words. He said, however, the spiritual is not first, but the natural, and afterward the spiritual. The first man was of the earth, made of dust, and the second man is the Lord of heaven. As was the first man of dust, so also are those who are made of dust. And as is the heavenly man, so also are those who are heavenly. And as we have borne the image of the man of dust, we shall also bear the image of the heavenly man. What kind of dust do you think we're made of? It's a phrase that goes through the the Privileged Planet book, and I keep picking it up here and there. We're made of stardust, the material that makes up our planet, makes up our body. All of this was built in the furnace at the atomic level of stardust. and It's part of that aging process that I was talking about. That the universe had to go through this process. It had to age long enough for heavier elements to be created so that God could use that as the clay old dust. But what Paul said is that we're no longer going to be like one made of that dust. We're now going to become like the one that made the dust. And that's the difference. We will become like him. Understanding, perhaps, how to do some of these things that he's already shown us in us, in in this creation. Paul continues. Now this I say, brethren, the flesh and blood cannot inherit the kingdom of God, nor does corruption inherit incorruption. Behold, I tell you a mystery. We shall not all sleep, but we shall all be changed. There's that change word. The universe will be changed we will be changed. We shall not all sleep, but we shall all be changed. In a moment, in the twinkling of an eye, at the last trump, for the trumpet will sound, the dead will be raised incorruptible, and we shall be changed, for this corruptible must put on incorruption, and this mortal put on immortality. So when this corruptible is put on incorruption, and this mortal is put on immortality, then shall be brought to pass the saying that is written, death is swallowed up in victory. You know what happens at that moment when we are changed? We step outside of space-time. We step outside of this physical, aging universe. We become like God. And that's the real process behind it. Now, in this universe, in this form, we can't step outside of the universe. We can't stop the aging that's taking place in us. But then, at that moment, God will raise us to life and step us into, changes into beings that are not affected by space and time. And that follows the laws of God that follows the laws of God working in us, being that convergence between the physical and the spiritual. His laws working in us. And there is no law that we could follow to bring about this change, though. There isn't any specific law that we could follow to make this happen. We cannot make this happen. Every law that we have in this physical realm, even the moral law to a certain extent is to to aid us in this physical world, to guide us in this physical world. All of these laws have a finite existence. The law of God's salvation is different. It's outside of space time. It existed in fact before the world began. How do we know that? Revelation chapter 13 and verse eight, breaking into that passage where the beast is given power to make war with the saints and given authority over everyone on the earth and over everyone whose names have not been written in the book of life of the Lamb, slain from the foundation of the world. Slain from the foundation of the world. There's a law in place that predated all of the laws that we have. And the word world in that passage isn't the right word. In English, we've poorly translated it. In the Greek, it's cosmos. Before the foundation of the universe, it was ordained. And <laughs> don't ask me how. That Christ would be slain for us. You know, mankind is looking for the universal theory, right? That singular theory, that simple formula that explains why we're all here. Yeah, because they're going to get that right, right? I have the formula already. I don't think I'm going to go down in the history book. We all have the formula. It's love. Love. Because... Before we existed, before any of our creation existed, before the universe existed, God loved us, he wanted to bring us into His realm, wanted to make us so that He could bring us into His realm. Love. First John chapter four and verse seven, it says, "Beloved, let us love one another." For love is of God, and everyone who loves is born of God and knows God. He who does not, have, does not love does not know God, for God is love. And this, the love of God, was manifest towards us, that God has sent his only begotten Son, that Redeemer, only begotten Son into the world, that we might live through him. And this is love. Not that we love God, but that he loved us and sent his son to be the propitiation for our sins. Beloved, if God so loved us, we ought to love also one another. How much does God love us? How much does God love you? I'd encourage you to go out tonight, Stay up a little later, hopefully it's not too cloudy. And go outside and take a look at the universe it was created for you he made it for you to go look at and consider and open your mind to his love and if we're going to put a measurement on it we're going to put some value to how much does god love us how about 40 billion light years. That's how much he loves us, Because that's the size of the universe right now that he created for us. To understand and learn and use as we learn more about him and build in us knowledge, his truth and his ways. That's how much God loves